HMP GovLab podcast, where today we're going to answer a couple of burning questions. The first one being, who is Holly Jarman, and why are you listening to her so much? Oh my goodness, I had no idea that this was going to be an interrogation, Scott. It's just a friendly little get-to-know-you. Basically, what I thought we could do is talk through, just ask a few questions about who you are and why you're here, and then you do the same to me, and that way the students can get a sense of who we are and why we're here before we begin the semester on the other side of a Zoom screen from you. Okay, so just the fundamentals, just the existential big ones about who am I and why am I here? You could start <laughs> with your the accent. Point of all this? Where are you from? Oh, yes. So I get questions about this quite a lot. Um, I'm originally from the UK. I was born in London. I'm a Londoner. And um, so my accent hopefully is still pretty English. I'm hoping that it stays that way. I have some friends who've been living in America for about 25 years now and very slowly their accents have kind of evolved into a strange transatlantic brogue, which is not as nice, I think, as either an American accent or a British accent. So hopefully um, I won't have that happen to me. We'll have to see. And now... You're an assistant professor of health management and policy at the University of Michigan. So how did you get from London to UM, to Ann Arbor? Oh gosh, how long have we got to talk about this? So I actually did my PhD in political science at the London School of Economics and Political Science. And so that was a real learning curve for me. I am a first generation college student, so... Uh, there were, I didn't really know anybody who'd done a PhD. I had no idea what I was doing, um, but I had been involved in policy. So I'd worked as a researcher. Um, we call them researchers. It's sort of a staffer would be the American word for a member of the Houses of Parliament. So I worked for an MP and I'd also worked in the UK Department of Health doing some various odd jobs there. And so I was really interested in engaged in health policy even then and also economic policy, which is really what my, my PhD was in. So I did that for a while um, and then I graduated in 2009 and I got a job at the State University of New York, which was really great, um, friendly place. And so I lived in Albany for about four years before finding a job here at the University of Michigan. And I've been here since 2012, first in a research position and then in a tenure track uh, position, which is like a more permanent professor job. And I'm still here. They haven't kicked me out yet. And one of the reasons we know they won't kick you out is you do a lot of scholarship on a lot of interesting and important topics. Do you want to talk about a couple of your favorite past or future or present themes? Oh, my gosh. Um, so... Yeah, I do a lot of work on health regulation, health policy topics, but particularly a lot of my work is engaged with what happens after a, a legislature says yes to a policy. So we pass a policy into law and then quite often I think people forget about it. We don't talk about it in the press. We don't talk about it in public conversations. And so I'm very interested in how that policy actually gets implemented and to my mind, that's where quite a lot of things can really go wrong. And so a lot of the work I do is on various topics along those lines. So I have, for example, a longstanding project in tobacco control. I've been looking at Tobacco 21 policies. And so what happens once that policy is uh, put into law? How do you actually um, 
put that into practice in local communities and in cities and in counties and how does that work and can you afford to do it and what does the enforcement look like which is a really um this topic of the day but you know do you try to um, enforce this using civil means using fines and warnings or do you bring the police into it and so that is a project i've been doing for a couple of years i'm also working on a covid related project right now uh, where we are doing something quite different actually we're comparing the covid responses of a number of countries in europe and trying to figure out what are some of the defining factors of a significant uh, significantly successful response let's say so that again is very much in the nitty-gritty of policy and how does it get put into practice especially like how are governments able or not to be flexible in a time like this and actually rise to the occasion? Um, so that's being something we're doing with a big team of folks, both in Europe and in America. And um, it's really nice. I like a lot of interdisciplinary work where I'm working with people with different training from myself. And so I find that quite fun. You didn't say a word about the European Union or Oaxacan coffee. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I have an eclectic research portfolio, let's say. So some of my work uh, is quite law based. So I look at European Union law uh, as it pertains to trade and health. So I have a big research agenda thinking about how markets and the marketplace rubs up against health concerns. And so do you really see a situation where um, economic regulation pushes out health policies that we would want to see put in place and so i i study the european union in that context um so that's quite a legal um set of research i also have a do a bit of that research around um the wto the world trade organization too and a lot of that stems from my dissertation research which is about trade and markets and economic regulation and how that doesn't necessarily get along well with the health goals that we want to see put into place I can see how this is so exciting that you're glued to your desk, but I've got to ask, you come from London, one of the world's biggest and most exciting cities. How's Ann Arbor? What do you do there? Oh man. So I do miss London. I am definitely at home in a big city. I like the bustle of the place, um, but it's also pretty stressful to live in a big city, frankly. Um, I've been at this point in probably at least... I think it's at least 30 states by now across the US on various trips. And um, I've seen a lot of college towns too. I can tell you Ann Arbor is a pretty good college town in terms of just the infrastructure that it has. And so I'm, I struggle a bit with some of the things like I am not much of a big coffee drinker. I drink a little coffee, but I'm much more at home drinking tea. That's very stereotypical. I know for an English person, but um I'm hoping that over time I'll be more, more accustomed to drinking what Americans think is a cup of tea, which is a huge bucket of hot water, very lightly flavoured by a, a tea bag. Uh, so that's a little different. Um, I like the, uh, the like being part of a big institution. The University of Michigan is just huge. And uh, even at the State University of New York, we were not as large as the Michigan campus. And so that took a good bit of getting used to the idea that the university could be just as big as the town, if not uh, bigger. 
And so I think I've adjusted to that over time, but it did take a, it was a learning curve for me. Yeah. And what do you do to enjoy Ann Arbor? What do you do when you're not doing scholarship? I have been playing Pokemon Go with my four-year-old, who is very excited about the idea that any animal that she sees could secretly be a Pokemon. Um, So we've been going out to parks a lot over the summer and doing little nature walks and things. Um, And so I I spend a lot of my time uh, hanging out, doing family things. And um, I love movies, so I am really happy that we've got a couple of fantastic movie theatres. They're quite beautiful. You really should go and see our restored movie theatres. And um, they have some special sing-along movies, which I'm quite fond of. Uh, Sing-along A Sound of Music I went to. And uh, I'm actually part of a big choir, a women's chorus in Ypsilanti. So we hang out, well, we were hanging out before covid quite a lot these days we hang out a lot on zoom and we kind of do uh coaching together but we obviously can't sing in person because that's one of the things that uh actually circulates the virus quite quickly so while we can't do that in person right now i do really appreciate my chorus friends my non-academic friends i think that that is a a great way to um get it's an antidote to the university in some ways much as i love the university i don't want to be talking academics all of the time and finally how do you cook rice how do i cook rice i have a fancy japanese rice rice cooker which i am very very fond of and it plays little tunes when the rice is done which is always cheerful and um so i would never go back to boiling rice in a pan that definitely my parents, if they ate rice, which they did not very much, would boil the heck out of it in a pan. And I much prefer the lovely steaming job that my rice cooker does. And so I do eat rice a lot. Um, I also make put rice in risotto, which I cook more sort of the traditionally Italian way, only I'm sure much worse than any real Italian would ever do um, but I do like to make risotto and it's a real treat so that's how I cook rice brilliant got any questions for me oh baby do I have questions for you so okay now I get to turn the tables on you a little bit now you've been at the University of Michigan for how long Scott exactly since 2005 September oh my goodness so how has Ann Arbor changed since 2005 then In a way, it's like a lot of America, a successful bit of America. It's grown, it's become nicer, it's become denser, it's become less egalitarian. We've got a bigger housing crisis at the same time that we have high-rise buildings full of posh student dorms. So it's a much more pleasant place to live if you've got money, but it's an increasingly tricky place to live if you don't, which is one of the reasons that, at least before COVID, increasingly the interesting little small businesses were more and more to be found in Ypsilanti town. So one of the things I think so interesting is about Scott is, did you see what he did there when he just put in the bad things and the good things right next to each other? So sometimes he has this flat affect way of speaking. I'm sure all of you students will get to know this sooner rather than later, where he just tells you the good thing and he just keeps on going in the same tone of voice. And then there's the, the also the bad things. And so one of the things I think we both share actually as social scientists is we we 
try to understand the world using social science. And so that has we, we have that habit of trying to uh, show the good and the bad in everything and um, analyzing the situation, don't you think? Yeah, and part of it is that I, in particular, am trained as a comparativist. So comparativists, as a program of political science, compare countries. And we look at ways in which, for example, the United States race relations crisis might be illuminated by comparing us to Brazil or South Africa, or the ways in which the failings of the United States healthcare system can be remedied if we learn from Western Europe. So a lot of the time, what I'm specifically trying to do is get out of the endless fascination of American history and society and think about ways in which comparing us to other countries would teach us something useful. Right. And I think that's a really powerful thing to do to compare. Like, like we shouldn't forget the historical experiences of other places. And I really hate it when people suggest that America is somehow exceptional and not comparable to other places. I find that kind of offensive, actually. Uh, so let's back up a minute, though, because you're a political scientist, too. So where did you start out? Where did you get your degree? And then how, what was your path to Michigan? I've always been interested in health. And a very long time ago, when I'm sure many of the people listening to me were, were doing something else, that is 1996, I went to Northwestern University, just north of Chicago, to do my political science PhD, focused on European politics. And the gravitational pull of health just sucked me back in every time I tried to go do something different. So I wrote my first book, my PhD, on politics of secessionism in Scotland and Catalonia. Don't ever let me study you, by the way. The minute I start to study your country, you're inexorably on the road to a disaster. Did you start studying the United States recently? Because I feel like things have got worse. Yeah, about 2010. Yeah, there you go. Just don't let me study you. <laughs> I've never studied South Korea and look how they're doing. So anyway, I found that looking at health was a really good way to understand the broader politics of why people in Scotland and Catalonia were motivated to secede or not. So then I found a job in London at University College London studying the different health systems of Scotland, Northern Ireland, England, and Wales. And I had a lot of fun zipping around the UK, interviewing people. And one of the things is that the UK is a really beautiful country, but Health services tend to be where the people are, not where the gorgeous craggy mountaintops and green fields are. So I visited a lot of areas in the United Kingdom that no tourist goes to and had a lot of fun doing it, talking to the interesting people who are making health services and public health work. So I was settling down to live in London, doing a lot of London exploring, walking all over the city, enjoying the theater, enjoying the music. But if the University of Michigan calls and says they're interested in your application that you threw in, you go. And I was blown away. The professionalism of the university, the sense in which things just basically worked, the sense in which the place was built around getting things actively done, I was hooked. So after never having dreamed of leaving London, I found myself in Ann Arbor. I joked that I'd been exponentially increasing the size of the city I lived in, that Chicago is twice the size of Milwaukee, London is twice the size of Chicago, and so logically the next step was going to be a city twice the size of London, which probably meant Karachi. And instead I found myself in a city whose total population is less than the number of people who use the average London railway station. So let me ask that question to you, Scott. How You asked me, 
but how do you um, experience Ann Arbor? What kinds of things do you like to do locally? Well, realistically, the things I did in London are mostly available in Ann Arbor. I can drink gallons of coffee. I can ride a bicycle. The exploring I do on the bicycle is more along the lines of metro parks, which I recommend, than discovering entirely new areas of the city by canal towpath. But if you like cycling, if you like scholarship, if you like coffee, and if you like not having that big city stress and time suck, Ann Arbor's great. And realistically, what did I do in London? I ate, I consumed art, I consumed books, I consumed coffee. Ann Arbor's good for all of that. I feel like you have this sort of monastic existence. So if there's um, ever something that Scott really loves, it's books. And so you should see his bookshelves actually just cover most of the house. So um, this, what some of you won't know is that actually Scott and I share a household. Um, so our basement is stuffed with Scott's books. And prior to the, actually having a whole house to ourselves, uh, we previously lived in a one bedroom flat. And at that point, our combined library was pretty much encroaching on all of our other living space. So one of the reasons that we actually moved out of our flat and into a real house is to have more space for books. Uh, so you can tell that um, Scott kind of has a monastic life. He, he gets coffee. He um, rides his bicycle, which is sort of a meditative act. And he uh, reads a lot of books. So it can be really great to have conversations with you, Scott, because you've always got an interesting anecdote um, taken from different times in history and different places around the world. Um, but what kinds of things do you do at the moment for your research? For my research? So I thought I knew what my research was in early March of 2020. COVID has substantially derailed that because I'm one of the few people who had been doing research on the comparative politics of communicable disease control. I first started working on the topic in 2003. I published work on it in 2012 and after that. And I had to work very hard to persuade anybody that this was interesting because everybody knew it worked fine and the variation wasn't that wasn't worth following. I don't think anybody holds that opinion now. I don't think anybody thinks it works fine globally. And I think a lot of people have noticed that there's a very big difference. Because if I were to cross the Canadian border, which I can't, I'd be radically safer than I am in the United States. So COVID-19, I'm working on a variety of projects, including looking at what it tells us about federalism and presidentialism, about national strategies and which ones are most effective, about the considerable transformation in the European Union, and a long line of work with a lot of people around UM and who have now often moved, graduated and moved to other universities with their PhDs on the politics of disasters and public health emergencies in the US. So I can talk about the politics and the partisan debates around Ebola, Zika, Katrina, and of course, COVID-19. Wow. So you really took that using social science as a coping metaphor and therapy to a real extreme uh, by studying a whole host of natural disasters on top of the um, disturbing things that you were already studying. Um, so I'm wondering, you've been in this university for some time. So to, to wrap up, I wonder if we can have a brief discussion of what recommendations would you make to students listening to this about um, their futures, about 
navigating the university, navigating their careers, what advice do you have for them? I think there's a couple of key things that make Michigan stand out. And these are variants on the things that everybody says make Michigan stand out. One of them is, of course, it's big. And there's a lot of ways to be big. One is to just be an archipelago of disconnected units that have nothing in common. And that's the second thing that I really like about this place is the extent to which you can go engage with other units, other schools of the university. You can even breach the divide between North and South campus. Although if you do that on a bicycle, you'll remember it. And there's a lot less of the condescension and insularity and tribalism than you find in a lot of other universities. So going and exploring other units, other schools, other professors, and other ways that people think about the questions that we deal with is something that I really recommend. And you can do that here in a way that you can't at a lot of really fine universities that have a much more insular kind of mindset. I've really enjoyed this last semester. I've been a public engagement fellow. So the university has a small number of public engagement fellows who are working on uh, projects with the wider community. And so part of that program has been interacting with people from all different parts of the university so um, we've got really hard scientists and physicists biologists uh, I've got people who do business I got people who do um, gardening actually some of the botany botany and um, take care of some of the gardens that are within the university uh, history art and so on and so forth and so that's been really great and the quality of faculty members in that group and um, staff members also has been really nice and that's part of what I want out of a university is that intellectual interaction like I just want to learn interesting things most of the time um, my advice to students would be a couple of things yeah I think the university can be a big place which is an advantage and a disadvantage it's an advantage in that if you need a resource that resource is probably there but it's a disadvantage in the context of finding that resource can be hard sometimes. So I would say like for your um, coursework, rely heavily on the library system, rely heavily on our informationists. They're such a good resource. Every time I cannot find something, I will go to uh, Judy, who is Judy Smith, who is our informationist who works for um, H works with HMP and we I, I ask her help Judy <laughs> uh, can you please help me find this resource can you help me find this data can you help me look at this literature and she's incredibly helpful with things like that that's something I never had at my previous university and so I'm quite grateful for it um, I would say too like take time for yourself especially in the first semester of your program like spend a little time think about okay, I want to do maybe one or two extracurricular things, uh, but not too many. You have to take time to absorb all the things you're learning because even with a two-year program, I think things can go by pretty quickly uh, and you need to let yourself absorb some of the things that are being taught to you and, and then you can make up your own mind about um, the content you're being taught and your criticisms of that content and your synthesis of that content. And I think that's really nice. Um, I would say when I see students come back from their internship in the second year, there's quite often really a transformation in 
how they, even with older students who have had work experience before, a transformation in how they carry themselves and their professionalism and their knowledge and confidence. And that's a really nice thing to see. It's something I uh, enjoy seeing every year. So um, I'm looking forward to uh, interacting with all of you over the year. And um, my door is open. I have office hours every two weeks. So um, if any of this advice was even slightly useful or you want different advice or you have specific questions about anything I do, uh, just send me an email and you can come along to my open office hours virtually of course but um, for the time being but hopefully one day in person and i want to underline that that it's 2020 there's a lot of stuff going on and it's really important to be reflective to be thoughtful about how you organize your life because not one of us can individually save the world by putting in an extra few hours a day but you can certainly mess yourself up so pay attention to yourself and how you're doing and how you relieve stress and what the limits that you place on the different elements of your life can be. Yeah, put your mask on first and then help others. Um, and I think I'm trying to do that right now by spending more time with my daughter and spending more time with my singing friends. Um, just as an antidote to what I'm dealing with day to day. But I'm hoping to... to do some volunteering probably around the election and uh, counting ballots and that kind of thing and try to stand up in a way that won't destabilize me but will help other people that's that's my goal a good goal all right i hope this was at least slightly interesting and you got to know us a bit better normally we'd have a lot of these conversations one-on-one -on -one, but um like we said feel free to email us and uh, we can have some virtual hangouts hopefully during the year. Um, welcome to Michigan. Welcome to HMP. And um, I hope that this is the start of a nice, fruitful, and fun relationship where uh, everybody, both us and you, learns a lot. This has been a podcast of the University of Michigan's Health Management and Policy Governance Lab. If you're interested in our research, you can find more podcasts and blog posts over at our website, www.hmpgovernancelab.org. And you can follow us on Twitter at HMPGovLab. <laughs>